0: Today's topic is season one, episode number 36. A friend of Scott's came on board, and I don't want to introduce anything to anybody. This is really, really a very interesting and fun and good program.
1: So Mike, I have our guest. Yes, an old-time friend. That she posted something on Facebook and I was just like, this is brilliant. This old-time is brilliant. Old-time friend
0: or a long-time friend?
1: A long-time friend?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, an old-time she, is She was actually an earned... in,
1: she was intern at my former employee. Then she's a long-time friend because you're old. Yes. All right. Now as old as you Oh, <laughs> touche. <say. laughs> anyway, so she, I, Facebook friends, she posted something that, that the city is doing or uh, talking about letting tiny homes into the area. And for for whatever reason, you know, who's building them, who's living in them, doesn't matter to me. She had a great point, and they were talking about this, they were talking about the city may have a little long line of Thomas Jackson, I guess a little bit, uh, urban gardener, issues with tiny homes and what you can plant landscape-wise. And she said, well, wait a minute, you know, if, if if you're trying to sustain in this tiny home, you, you have the mentality of also doing some type of edible food in your lot. So why not take... You know, instead of planting four beautiful boxwoods out front, plant two and plant two like blueberry bushes or something along that line. It's something edible because you, you, a tiny home, the whole idea is self-sustaining type of things. Is, are
0: you saying that she's saying that the city's like a homeowners association where they're saying? Yes. Thank you. That's
1: brilliant. That's, the, well, that's, I don't like, I hate that. Is she, she is what? she here with us right now? She is here with us now. Everybody. Come on wel- in. Welcome Annie Johnson, everybody.
2: Yay! Hello. Hi, great. thank you guys for having me.
1: So I just thought it would be brilliant for uh, somebody, your basic homeowner, which Annie is, family, husband, all that, 30 dogs, 30 she has cats. She 2.78 children? <laughs> yeah, 2.8. All right. <laughs> but she came up with a great idea that I think can be spread across the country and to everybody listening. And I don't care what city or state you're in. If people have an issue with, like you said, a homeowner type of situation, homeowners association, um, some of these bushes that she's talking about using are almost looking like a boxwood. I mean, it's not like in your face, I have a garden right here. Yeah. And
2: so if you still use the same ideas and the same, um, what's the word I want? But like the same look and the same height. Differences as you would normally with landscaping in general just for ornamentals. And then you use those same rules as an ornamental, but you put in edible landscaping. So you'd use a blueberry bush in place of a boxwood and they'd still be bushes. Or you'd use strawberries in place of ivory or something as a ground cover. You'd still use those same heights and those same dimensions, but you'd use edibles in place of ornamentals.
0: Can they put in something that's going to be, now we're talking sustainable plants, something that you can basically feed off of. It's kind of like having the, you know, the family goat out in the backyard 150 years ago. Um, Except this is a growing plant. Can we, you know, we're talking about the tiny houses, right?
2: Yeah. And so I originally was thinking um, with the tiny houses, because most people that are going to have that are going to be on a tighter budget instead of uh, putting anything that's ornamental and isn't serving a purpose. That's where it'd be really great to have, edible landscaping because then it's less money that you're spending on your grocery budget because you already have it on your property.
1: And right there, the show is over. That's just brilliant because, and and that, I'm not saying that's unique idea. I'm just saying that this idea needs to be spread across the country. And that's why. Yeah. I
0: hope it's not over because I have a lot of questions. No, 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 I'm
1: just teasing. But I'm just saying that's it in a nutshell. I mean, you know, take this idea and run with it, everybody.
0: Well, that's just it. I like the idea, too. And I did a little bit of research when you brought it to my attention. I was looking this up and these up. And these are these are cool houses. I mean, they're going to fluctuate. This doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to put mother-in-law in the backyard in a tiny house or make a decent she shed where if you get in an argument with your husband, you can go out there and spend two weeks out there and make him, you know, well, oh, honey, I apologize, that type of thing. This can be something that is actually functional for uh, people to have their own independence, uh, sustainability, like you're talking about the food. Now, did you have any ideas? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. You're going to need something there that's going to be, you know, in the middle of wintertime, it's not going to look like it's a bunch of dead plants. Um, maybe like Scott said, a boxwood here and there, maybe two or three of them just randomly placed in the property area that you've got. But then go ahead and put in annual type of f- plants and perennial type of plants. Like you said, the blueberries, Um, the raspberries, this type of thing, and maintain them. What do you suggest,
1: Annie?
2: Well, and I was just trying to think through my own yard, um, because I don't personally have blueberries. They have yet to, um, they don't grow in clay soil, which is what I have. And so I have struggled. I think I've planted at least four blueberries, and they've all died on me. Um, But it's one of those I still want to try. Now, the strawberries do actually keep their foliage uh, through the winter, And they just get covered in snow. So that would be something that wouldn't look dead. Um, The raspberries lose all their foliage and they do spread like wildfire. So it's not something you want to put somewhere where you're not going to be able to maintain it and keep it. Plus, a lot of times they have um, thorns. So it's not something you want near high traffic areas. But they do look pretty in the winter. Well, the raspberries also
0: are only going to produce fruit on new growth. Um, they, they think the rose bushes, I mean, when you do the trimming, you do the continued maintaining, I mean, you can whack and hack at them, but I prefer you make them look pretty, but that'll guarantee that you're going to get some type of flower next year. Thus some type of fruit that's going to follow up with it.
2: Exactly. And any, any place that you would put a deciduous tree, you could easily put, um, an apple or a plum or a peach or cherry tree. Any of those, um, yeah. are, they perform just like a deciduous tree.
0: I mean, rather than just having, you know, something like a maple tree to give you shade, you can have a, this is a tiny home, you can use an apple tree that they're a dwarf that won't get any taller than about 20 feet, but you're still going to have something sustainable.
2: Exactly. And especially if your neighbors plant an apple tree, then you would get obviously a lot more of a harvest.
0: Cross-pollination. Uh, all right. Now, what kind of vegetables are you talking about to put out there? I mean, I've seen beans that have the most beautiful flowers in the world. And then if you have a trellis, you can have them climb up and you can basically go, you know pick them eat them raw or go ahead and you know give them to your neighbor or cook them what's your intent and what's your idea here
2: So for trellises, um, I was thinking grapes, which I haven't tried yet, but I have seen other people grow them actually along their chain link fence um, by their driveway and around their yard. I've seen people grow grapes as well. And that just looks like a a woody vine in the winter, but those would be great. And they're beautiful foliage during the summer months. Um, I've also just grown um, a loofah plant just for fun. I wanted to try a loofah squash and it took over the entire side of my garage and made beautiful um, green foliage, but it, then it also had a beautiful yellow flower that smelled really sweet, and my girls used to pick them all and put them in their ears. Um, so luffas are actually really well, and then you can um, well, l- pick l- the squash.
0: Yeah, let me... let me. I mean, is this something that's edible, too? I mean, for those people that it I'm is. with who will remain nameless, who don't know how to bathe, can you explain what a luffa squash is and what it does?
2: So I always thought, which... You know, this is my ignorance. I always thought a loofah was some sort of sponge that came from the ocean, but it's actually a squash. It's Um, And you can eat it when it's young and tender. I did find you can eat it. Um, I was growing it to see if I can make loofah sponges. So you have to let it grow and it's supposed to wither on the vine. And then you, I believe you're supposed to peel the skin and dry it out. You can bleach it. And then that way you can go ahead and use it as a sponge. And then you compost it when you're done with it which again, sustainability was super cool to me Um, because our season is a little bit um, colder up here. I had to pick them a little bit early and let them dry in the sun.
0: Now, this is your Midwest Garden podcast. We're talking Midwest going as far west as what? Minnesota, as far east as Philadelphia, as far north as Canada and south, the Mason-Dixon line. So people have been doing this for some time now. It's just that this is not necessarily an art, but it's a necessity, a sustainable necessity that people have been doing for centuries, and you're just reintroducing it.
2: Exactly, and so I love giving plants as um, housewarming gifts, too, and kind of talking my friends through. So the loofah was definitely something that's a little more advanced, I would say. For beginners, I would definitely try pie pumpkins or butternut squash. Zucchini is always friendly. Everybody loves zucchini. And all of those you can trellis.
0: I was going to say, they get a little invasive if you're putting them in the ground. They can go all over the place. You're talking trellising them?
2: Yes, I did pie pumpkins uh, this year, and I trellised them, and none of them fell off their vine, and I didn't even use any support, like a hammock. A lot of times you hear using nylons and tying them across to create a hammock to support the fruit, but none of mine actually fell off the vine.
0: Now, how did they look? I mean, were they kind of elongated, or were they more of a— They were still
2: a squat, squat pumpkin.
0: They were squat. I'll be darned. Now, see, I'm learning something.
1: Scott, pay attention. I'm digging. I'm digging this. Okay. No, no, no garden pun intended there. Oh, that was. <laughs>
0: uh, well, okay. Now here's where I'm going to go uh, because I I want you to continue. You gave me a list before you came in, of and Scott of all sorts of plants. I mean, are these plants that you're considering, or uh, one person doing, or basically sharing within the community of the tiny houses?
2: So I was originally just saying for each person's own backyard, um, I don't really have much of a garden community where I live right now. So a lot of it is just growing for myself. But I think it would be, especially with the apples, it would be really fun to see if it was within a community, if it was like every other house had an apple tree and maybe every other house had a cherry or a pear tree, something where that way each of their trees could cross pollinate each other. And then if they wanted to share or barter, that would be easy to do across the fences because you can just say, hey, I have this whole bushel of apples. Would you like a few? And I'll trade you for some pears.
0: Now, mind you, I got to bring to your attention the cities themselves. Now, it doesn't matter where you are. They have a health department and they're usually in charge of doing spraying for ticks and mosquitoes and things of this nature. But... What ends up occurring, too, are with the new with the beneficial plants that you're bringing in, like you said, the apples, the pears, the peaches, uh, the cherries, that type of thing, and the plants that you're going to be growing from seed, the annuals, you're going to be bringing in some what they call beneficial insects, where the city in itself, inadvertently, for the health of the citizens of your town or city, they're going to be there taking care of insects that can spread disease, for the most part, at least 70% of them. How do you pre- profess, you made mention um, on the information that you gave us earlier that you prefer going organic. How do you sustain organic growth throughout these tiny houses and the property that they're on? And how do you prevent, you know, from knocking out the beneficials?
2: Yeah, that's, that's still tricky. Right now I plant most of our, our stuff in the backyard because of that. Um, and I also try to keep all of anything that we're going to eat, I try to keep it, towards the house and away from the public sidewalk because we do have a lot of dog walkers. And so, you know, the idea of that dog near your sidewalk, you obviously don't want it near your food.
0: Especially the guy dogs. They like marking things.
2: Yeah. So well, in ahead. that sense, I would probably go along with something that's more like a nut tree where it's going to have a very hard shell to kind of protect it um, or anything that might be thicker skinned. I'm trying yeah. to look through here what I have. That might help. Um
0: well, not only that, but I mean, I know there's certain municipalities that are trying to regulate where they use the insecticides and they want to know what kind that they're using. I mean, if, if anything, were you thinking on utilizing any type of organic insecticide yourself to help keep some of these, you know, unpleasant things from nipping on your blood system?
2: On my blood system? Well, I've used um, essential oils sometimes for like a bug off. When we're outside and we just kind of spray it on our skin, the only insecticide or fungicides that I've used on my plants has been um, apple cider vinegar diluted with some water. And I spray it on the squash because I have a lot of problems with powdery, uh, mildew. powdery mildew. Yeah. And that worked the first time I did it. Isn't it and amazing? After, it was crazy. It blew my mind. I was like, no way can this work. And I thought I'd have to go back out after a rain. Nope. It never came back.
0: It, it, it's it's like okay, we're not gonna you know this lady knows how to deal with this. We're going elsewhere. I, I mean, it, it's true. These things have been around forever. I mean, forever. You said the apple cider vinegar for a fungicide. When you dilute it appropriately, if you use too much of it and you do, don't dilute it, I mean, it'll burn. It's used yeah. as a weed killer also, and it's used okay. as a as a as a uh, and, and well, it keeps the mosquitoes away. I know people that used to douse themselves in it when they'd go camping. And, you know, you get used to the smell, but initially it keeps the humans away also, but it keeps all the other bugs away.
2: I did not know that about um, apple cider vinegar for, for bugs. I'll have to try that.
0: You're gonna, Yes. I mean, no, you know, nobody's going to let your kids into their neighbor's houses because of the smell. But, you know, you can go out and play in your own backyard and it, you, you won't get bitten by anything. They may, Well, I
2: use it for a hair rinse, too.
0: I'll be darned. What's the benefit rinse. there?
2: Yeah, it helps with um, if you start to get dry scalp, you know, like in the winters, as we do. No kidding. Oh, uh,
1: Okay.
0: All right. Well, all right. All right. Here's we go. You, you made mention also earlier with the information that you brought to our attention. I want to go back to the plants later, but you said something about the soils and you're into organic growing. How do you grow organically? Do you grow into the ground? Do you prepare your soils or do you do it in container or do you do both?
2: Um, probably all of the above. I've tried it in the ground um, and then we brought in a bunch of compost as well and tilled that in into the ground. Um, And we've always had boxes for the most part. So we tilled the ground, built the boxes around it, poured in the compost, tilled it a little bit more. It's almost like double digging, but not quite. And that was our first garden. Um, And then, let's see, four years ago, we got cedar boxes, built those, just dumped compost in on top of of a bunch of cardboard that we were using to keep the grass from growing through.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Those are still going strong. And then- Last summer, we built a little retaining wall, filled it with compost, because I prefer compost, and planted all my strawberries in there. And this past summer, we did it straight into the ground um, with just about a few inches of compost this time. And that, I'm trying to think, definitely the raised beds are the best way to go as far as weeds, because the ones that I grew in the ground in rows, there was a lot more weed issue. But also, I had a lot more um, animals in that one as well. That kept. I mean, probably because of the sunflower seeds. I could not get a sunflower to grow for the life of me. I had to start you them can't? in large. No. I, the animals kept coming in and eating them. Well, we st- have bird feeders. Yeah. So we've, we've been attracting all these beautiful birds, but then they come and eat all my sunflowers. <laughs> okay, I, I, I,
0: I got a hint hint to give you. Now, wait a minute. You say that you start your sunflowers indoors?
2: No, I started them in pots, but they were huge pots because they grow so, so large. Right. I got sunflower or mammoth sunflowers because <laughs> I was... Trying to grow them for the seeds, So my husband eats a bunch of sunflower seeds. So I thought, oh, if this is another way that I can remove one more thing from our grocery list and grow it myself, I right. would try that. That's usually what informs what I'm going to grow next year. Rather
0: than starting them in a container where they're going to grow faster and you're going to have them out earlier, why don't you just try planting them by seed in the ground like you're doing corn? Put it in the ground early when you can manipulate the soil. You can get down there and dig about six to eight inches. Stick your finger in the ground. Have your kids do it also. Go down about two inches, drop the seed in, go to the next one. The stuff's gonna come up when it will and it will come up when it's appropriate timing for it. By that time, the critters that want to go and eat other things are gonna focus on other things rather than your sunflower seed. Because I mean, look, they're gonna go for the lettuce, they're gonna go for the early cucumber that you put in. And mammoth grow exceptionally fast and exceptionally tall. So I wouldn't worry about using too much of them, but try it this time. Keep them growing in your container if you want to, but try Mike's mix, put it into the ground, watch them grow, see how well they, they, it works. I mean, I think you're going to you're gonna like the return on that.
1: Is there, a, hmm. is there like a sacrificial type of vegetable that you can grow or uh, double love and attract the animals to go to that bed? What most of the animals
0: go to, especially the bunny rabbits, the, the uh, woodchucks, uh, they, they go for the early young stuff. I mean, you're offering them a five-star restaurant to feed at immediately after they've gone through an entire winter without sustainable food. So they're going to go for that stuff that's already three to five inches tall that you put into the ground rather than if you started something from seed. And notice that the luck that you have with corn when you drop it in the ground, nobody messes with it because they're going to be going to the cucumbers that somebody's already. the other stuff. The peppers and all that other thing. Um, There is a deterrent. Now, there's one thing that you can get that's natural and organic. You can go ahead and get yourself what they call predator urine. All right. It sounds disgusting and it is but you wear your gloves, you get cotton swabs, and you get yourself a little 8 to 12-ounce bottle of it. You dab the cotton balls on it, and you throw it around randomly throughout. They're going to think that something's there that's marking their territory. They're going to go elsewhere. But it's got to be fresh. After a good rain or a good snowfall, you got to do it again. Here's something I want to ask you, young lady. When it comes down to the compost, do you make your own or do you purchase it? Because we've got for people that are um, homeowners that can't have access to it right now, And I mean, right now, when we're talking February, early March, I would like you, if you can, on top of the snow to go and throw that down there. Now, I know most of the places that you get it at in bulk, it's not ready. It's going to be frozen to the ground. But if you go to the garden centers, especially the independent ones like your ma paws, there's a product that's out there that's called Bumper Crop. Now, Master Nurseries put this out. And the Bumper Crop itself is a combination of bark vines, shellfish, all sorts of really neat earthworm castings. Neat stuff that you can put down on top of the snow. And I know your neighbors are going to think you're a little nuts by going out there and dumping it. But as the snow melts, sure, it'll freeze. But as it melts, it'll percolate down into your already established garden. And it works wonderfully as far as a primer, and it is natural. But I'm going to recommend the bag stuff now. The bulk stuff later on, if you can get and find out what's in there, that's perfect. But if you look up bumper crop and you look what's in there as far as the nutrients, my goodness gracious, we even cut a bag open Drop the tomato plant in there. We had the best fruit from it forever. We didn't have to add anything to it other than water. But, okay, I'm off on my tangent. Um, anything else that you're going to be recommending?
2: No, that sounds great. I was um, The only thing I can think of that I've used differently other than um, compost from the local yard clipping waste uh, place is I used to use composted horse manure from a barn that I used to go up at. Lots um, of
0: seeds in that stuff.
2: It, it was the Best thing that ever grew my strawberries. I it, took three or four mothers and put it in that. Oh, my God. I had 30 daughters within a month, and I lost track after that.
0: Hey, my question there is, did you did you have a problem with weeds?
2: I did not, but you, I was also in a townhouse, so okay. there was not much.
0: Well, see, here's here's the deal. The cows have four stomachs, um, whereas, it, you know, as it processes what they're eating, it, it also kills the seed. Horses only have one stomach. And we've noticed that horse manure has a lot of it depends on where they're grazing at. It has an awful lot of seed that's still active in there. And then a lot of people get extremely frustrated. And another little bit of a warning that I want to bring to people's attention, know who your supplier is. And if it's a grass clippings, the thing that I have a question on, if you want to stay totally organic, um, grass clippings, sometimes there's lawn services that are putting down synthetic products. And there's systemic insecticides and other things that are in there. If it's been composted and cured properly, generally it burns all that out. But, you know, any guy in a pickup truck driving around and dumping stuff can call it a compost. Uh, certain cities use the leaves that are from the cities, um, and they they just make leaf compost. They don't add anything to it. Right. So, I mean, the, the stuff that you're getting, are you getting with multiple nutrients in there? Or are you getting—see, here, the reason I'm saying that is— Most of the Midwest has been uh, supported and the economy has been based on industry, whether it's the automotive industry or not. But they've had manufacturing plants where they built houses and residences where they've had heavy metals that over the years, 60, 70 years, have settled into the ground. Are you doing uh, just strictly an isolated area where you know that you're not going to be planting in existing soils or uh, please explain this to me?
2: Yeah, and that's that's one thing that's always been a concern for me because I have not tested my soil my soil yet, and that is one thing that I have been meaning to do. I every time I do get compost, I'm always asking like, is this organic? Is this safe to be planting vegetables in? I'm always trying to make that um, comparison that I'm not putting just ornamentals in it. I want to be able to eat what I grow out of this right. compost. Right. Right. So right now, that's about the only homework I'm doing, and that is one area that I need to get better at.
1: With Mike throwing down his bumper crop, your soil, you know, we had uh, Christina on not too long ago. And what episode was, I'm trying to look at which one that was. Uh, That was episode 29, everybody. If you want to go back, it was released in December. Christina represents a soil kit. And soil kit is a home test kit that you dig up four or different pieces of dirt in the, your area, six eight inches down. You put them in this bag. Um, we sell this kit at our garden center, and I'm sh- I know you can find it all around. It's the brand name is technically Soil Kit. Um, so you send it in to them. They do a nine. I think they just added another test, so I think it's a t- ten point test now. And they put your results online. The garden center that you bought it from also has that information. So it's always like if you forget for the next year or what have you, they've got it all down. The dashboard tells you everything you need to know what you're missing and what you have. So if you're looking for a soil test kit. How that, fast are they? That's the I one. mean, on the return. Oh, yeah. She said is it 40, 40, up to 48 hours after they receive Your sample in their lab.
0: So you can test early in the spring and be ready and put all these, you know, lacking nutrients, organic
1: or not. She says you can test, if you can dig it out of the ground and it's not frozen, they can test it.
0: Okay. Now, this is something that I think that uh, she's going to benefit from. Well, this is
1: perfect for Annie if she wants to know about all that.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, and it'll tell you what you can put. Now, believe it or not, whatever the nutrients are lacking, I mean, it'll tell you the NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium... But it'll also tell you if it's too acidic. Now you said that you had a problem growing blueberries. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you were to dig up a little bit of this soil in the areas that they recommend, you can look it up online. It says soil 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 kit kit. soil kit online, and it'll tell you how much to put in and send it to them. It can come back and tell you what you're lacking, especially if you if you wrote something down or said that you know I'm going to grow these blueberries and it's not working. What am I doing wrong? It's going to have a list of what it's lacking for those blueberries to grow. So this is something also that I think both with tiny houses, both with anybody in their own backyard, if you want to go natural, go organic. Listen to what Annie's saying right here. And I think, Annie, you can definitely, uh, I want I want to see what kind of a return you have. See, I got a, I, I, I don't grow a whole bunch anymore, um, not because I don't want to. The reason I don't grow a whole bunch anymore is because I'm involved with this urban ag thing. And I can just go and pick a tomato and bring it back home if I want to. Or I can go and pick a watermelon if I want to. Or greens or beans or anything like this. And I know that they're naturally growing. So when it comes down to the homeowner, with the ideas that you have, you know, let's say it's a real limited area, what do you think the yield's going to be? I mean, can you grow tomatoes? Or are you going to need like, you know, three tomatoes? Or can you get away with one? Things of this nature. Shoot. Go for it, lady.
2: So I have two four by 10 raised beds that I started with. And I have uh, Roma tomatoes that I started growing. I don't even know how many years ago. And I had grown them with the intention of making tomato sauce, soup, what have yous. Maybe someday I'd make ketchup. But, um, But what's great about them, if you will, is that those seeds are so prolific. As you know, you always have volunteers every year. And so at this point, I don't even plant tomato seeds anymore. They just come up on their own. You, so, you, the
0: Romas are doing that? No, these are heirloom yes. then. Because yes, they are. generally the hybrids or the genetically modified ones, will, they'll come up, but they're not going to produce fruit. So, so you're I want getting, to say
2: these are Amish paste ones. Oh, and, for
0: goodness gracious, that, yeah. yes.
2: Yeah, so they're Amish paste. And so I, like I said, they're probably over five years plus since I last actually bought a packet of seeds. And so they come up every year, and I'm pretty sure they're indeterminate. So they just keep growing and keep producing. And I think I keep about... Um, maybe eight, eight or 10 of those plants. And I'm always giving away tomatoes and they're so beautiful.
0: Do you remember when the old timers used to give tomatoes when you were growing up to your mother? What do you want that for? Ah, I'm not eating. Now it's like, oh, give me more. Yes,
2: and my my mother's always asking for more. And actually we have, um, on the other side of our block, when we go for a walk, there's one guy that grows, he only grows peppers and tomatoes. And so he always has a table out that says take some leaves on. Does he
0: really? Now, Mm -hmm. how does the taste differ from the stuff that you buy at your standard supermarket?
2: So I can't talk for tomatoes because I actually don't eat raw tomatoes. What? Um, what? I know. I'm so. Well, I am uh, the rye weirdest bread, gardener. butter,
0: Mayonnaise with salt and pepper on it, and a little bit of uh, you know, you know, Chardonnay. Oh my God, lady.
2: I am the weirdest gardener. I actually, I'm technically, I'm allergic to fresh tomatoes. There's something about oh, the, the chemistry acidity? in it. And it's mm-hmm. it's something with it being fresh. I actually will have hives. But once it's cooked down, so if it's sauce or spaghetti sauce or something like that, then I can eat it and I won't have a oh, reaction. Oh, now I feel
0: awful. All right. I no, apologize. you're fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, and I want to like them. I've even tried growing cherry tomatoes one year. I had those um, yellow cherry tomatoes, and they look so beautiful and they kind of taste okay to me, but at the same time, it's it's still that bodily reaction where I'm like, ew. Okay, not let's get away like from it.
0: tomatoes. You're an organic <laughs> and you're a natural grower. What else do you grow that you can pick raw and eat it?
2: That I pick raw and eat. Um, do I even eat any of it raw? Oh probably my just goodness. the lettuce. I know. Raspberries. Raspberries are probably, honestly, like my kids would go out every year this past, every day this past summer for. Um, a week and a half, and they went out and picked raspberries. It was almost like releasing the hounds. they ran into the National garden. Are they sweet? Yeah, they are actually um, I love my raspberries because they come from my parents' uh, old house where I grew up um, and it was the Tidki house that was built in 1904. So who knows where the raspberries originated, but they grow the perimeter of this property. And so when I bought this house here, I dug up some of the canes and the roots and I planted them at my, in the back of my yard. That's and cool. so these are um, black raspberries I love them.
0: Okay, so you're are you amending your soil to make them sweet? because I know so many people they can grow raspberries up the wazoo, but they just have no taste to them.
1: Because your original question was, how does this compare to the grocery store? That's
0: right, Yeah. Sorry. Okay, well, see, I'm... No, see, I'm that's to, fine. That's I'm fine. I'm going off on a tangent Yeah, here.
1: That's, that's why I'm here. Thank I got, you, Scott. I got to lasso Mike in. Oh, God. So uh, now that we found the raspberries, I know you're going to favor your own because they're your own, but I mean... How is do it, you know? She said she can't even eat her own tomatoes. <laughs> is it is it that big of a difference compared to the grocery store?
2: So I don't like the grocery store raspberries because they're really big and globular, and they definitely feel... I don't even know if harder is the right word, but they're more... Sus- Substantial, maybe. Okay. Um, the ones that we grow here, they are so delicate that you can't, you can barely rinse them under the water without them starting to just break apart and fall apart. apart. Yeah. yeah, disintegrate.
0: So you gotta so eat them as you harvest just, them.
2: Yep, you just pick them and put them right in your mouth. And if we harvest them, they only last a day because otherwise they start to just go bad.
0: How's the deal with the birds?
2: So the birds started finding them a week after we did. That's why I said it only. We only had them for about a week, and then there was this little juvenile robin. He decided he was going to start picking with us.
0: <laughs> and you let him join in?
2: Yeah. So we kept shooting oh, him away, cool. but usually by the second day, they were they were basically gone.
0: I want to go back to again the, the taste. The, the, Scott's getting frustrated here. His, his face is turning red. You can see that. <laughs> um, let's say, do you grow beans at all? I mean, have you ever done the beans and then pick them up or the peas and picked them and then just I've done ate peas. them? You, you, what was yeah. that?
2: I've done peas. So I grew up, my dad had a massive um, garden where when we were growing up in the, both in the city and then when we had the property at the Tidkey house and I loved sugar snap peas straight from the garden, pick them and eat them like, like a cookie. Um, I've only grown them here once because they do take over and they, they felt like a lot more work than what I'm used to, whereas the green beans are really easy. So I almost never buy green beans from the store. I've always grown them and eaten them at home. Super. So it's hard to compare them because I don't really buy them from the store.
0: I can tell you, especially if you're doing your own nutrients base as far as organics, there is no comparison. We used to get sugar snaps, pick them right off the vine, pop them in the mouth, and we would get so full on those things. Um, they're sweet, they're delicious, and very nutritious. I mean, listen— I, I can't believe I'm sitting here promoting you know something that's really good for you but fun at the same time.
1: Lassoing this back in, but the again, these are all things you can do edible landscape wise to the tiny house idea. But I'm going to challenge everybody and forget this tiny house. It doesn't have to be a tiny house, new built community or anything. You can spread this upon all your apartment dwellers if you can, Thank you. or townhomes. Yes. You know, see what I'm going to say get away with from the landlords or whatever. But, I mean, take her idea of the cross tree pollination. And that was a brilliant idea, too. You
0: well, know. it is. I mean, because there's nothing there that's right now unestablished, especially in the Midwest. I mean, the communities themselves are still archaic as heck as far as the rules and regulations. I mean, they're, they're based on everything when the industry was heavy and here. Now, with what she's saying right now. And the generation that she's from, what generation are you again? Are you your generation X or a millennial? Millennial.
2: I'm technically a millennial.
0: You're technically a millennial. I can guarantee you that about eighty percent plus of your generation has no idea where a tomato comes from other than the supermarket. Now, when it comes down to the urban areas, people are it's called regentrification or or gentrification, that they're taking some of these old buildings and they're repopulating downtown. Now they're starting to grow on roofs. Now they're starting to grow in little areas that have been basically, you know, old houses that have been knocked down or buildings that have been knocked down. But the soil is toxic Um, and people are staying in the houses. What used to be, you know, it was called a plight where people were moving out. Well, now they're staying with it. And then the house that has been knocked down next door. They're acquiring the, the lot. But that soil is still toxic as heck. How do you recommend not necessarily recommend? What do you foresee? As far as educating the masses on this, do you think that they're willing to listen, especially your generation?
2: I think our generation, my generation would be very um, interested in learning how to detoxify the soil. I know I would be because um, that's always something that's crossed my mind. I always thought it would be you know, cool to either have a loft or have a big property, but still be within the city. So you can still have that neighborhood feel, but with enough land to have a good victory garden. Um, But as far as that that toxicity goes, obviously you would want to know how to pull that toxins out, which is not something um, that I'm educated on, but I would be more than happy to learn more because I'm sure being in my own, um, uh, what do you call it, old neighborhood, it's not really a subdivision, but I'm in an old enough house where it's built in the 40s. I'm sure there's enough that needs to come out of my own soil and be detoxified and or amended. I'd like
0: you to see one day what Mr. Jackson has done for his urban growing and urban ag I mean, he's got four-foot plots, and that's not even deep enough. He's doing one right now. Central City, uh, right off of Detroit Avenue, that's going to be a 10-foot high, all-organic soil base that he's establishing. And, I mean, it's 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 really cool. Now, I know that Scott wants to jump in here. He's great. He's going, will you let me talk? Yeah, okay, let me talk. I'm, I'm, Mike, do you have a question? No.
1: Well, you mentioned seeds, and you were doing a lot from seed. So, and I also know that you do a lot of seed swapping. Can you give us a rundown on that, and how that works for you, and what you're able to get and trade, and just how easy that is? And when. Yeah.
2: So I started going to seed swaps, I don't know, uh, maybe 10 years or so. Um, And what's nice is at least in the Toledo seed swap, you can go and still get four tickets, which is what they use to swap or buy the seeds, if you will, just for showing up, which was nice. So in the beginning, I would bring a few seeds with me um, in order to get more tickets and then go and swap seeds. And so I was able to get things, even like strawberry seeds and asparagus seeds, which Everyone looked at me like I was crazy. Um, But then, you know, also getting Amish paste and I'd come with a whole list of what I'm going to, um, what I wanted. And then at the end of the seed swap, there was usually a ton of seeds left over. So they would start giving them out for free as well. So usually you get your few that you wanted and then you wait and see if there's any leftovers. Yeah.
1: So, okay. So now that you bring seeds, you get a ticket in order to get other seeds. So now I understand that. I just thought it was two guys in the corner saying, "Hey, I got, I got You're a carrot seeds, here. Man, you know? Look what I got!" <laughs> but my <laughs> qu- So you get these tickets. So at some point, do they say, "Oh no, we have too many carrot seeds already." you know we'll take a, you know broccoli and I'll give you two tickets instead of one? Does that exist, or am I just going nuts here?
2: I haven't seen it at this one because there are a lot of donations of seeds, even from big seed companies. And a lot of them are are organic seed companies will donate massive packets of seeds and then they will divide it up by table. So each table will say like I'm all the lettuces and spinach and then this other table will be all the squash and another table will be all the peas and, and beans or something like that. And so you go to each table and you drop one of your tickets in the bucket and you pick up a seed from the table. Gotcha. So it's, it, when, you, when you bring them in to swap, you drop them off at a table and you have to wait while they organize them all. And they let everybody in and it's a big releasing of the hounds as everybody descends on the tables. But what's great, too, is they have a lot of master gardeners there. So even when you're looking for, say, I, I know I want to grow tomatoes, but I have no idea if I want cherry tomatoes or indeterminate or determinate. I don't know what these words mean. They're gonna, yeah, you you're going
0: gonna to be educated by this.
2: Exactly. You can say, I don't know. I just want to grow enough to make tomato soup or spaghetti sauce. And they'll say, oh, you probably want this. What's your What's your soil like? Or are you in an apartment or a house? So they can help you decide if you want indeterminate or determinate. Or if you just want them for a salad, then you might want cherry tomatoes. And they walk you through it, which is so helpful.
0: Okay. Do us a favor real quick. Scott's question mark is above his head. Define determinate, indeterminate.
2: So indeterminate means it's going to grow for an indeterminate amount of time or length. So it just keeps growing longer and longer. And usually the problem, if you will, with those is you want to keep pinching off the suckers or the top so that they spend more energy into the fruit. Um, a determinant means it's just going to grow to a certain height and then it will continue to send all of its energy into its fruit. Into the fruit. Uh, okay. Into the fruit. I I don't mind the indeterminate. That's what you're going to find a lot of the heritage ones are. Plus then as you pick off some of the suckers or if you cut off um, a lot of the the vine and it has a couple leaves on it. You can actually put that in the ground and it will root and start another plant. So I've done that a few times when somebody's like, "Oh, you have tomatoes. I I totally missed the plant swap and I never started my seeds." You say, "Oh, I'll just snip a cutting off and usually I can get it to root if you bury a couple inches of the stem in the ground and it will root and take off and it'll start its own plant.
0: Have you ever tried doing any of the indeterminates inside?
2: Um, I've only started them inside. I've never actually tried growing them inside. We've
0: had people at Scott's, um, well, I'll name it because they're a sponsor of ours. It's Black Diamond Garden Center. Uh, We've had people that have come in and they've been growing indoors, i.e. the same way that you do outdoors. They're doing it naturally. They're doing it with, of course, you're getting other people that are going to be growing other things, but we don't ask, we don't tell. But when it comes down to the real tomatoes, The natural ingredients, the lighting, et cetera. I mean, once you get this bug, and I think you've got it and you're sharing it with the rest of us, I mean, there's no letting go. Uh, So in this case, you start them indoors. How early do you start yours indoors?
2: I try to start them in February. Usually, that's usually February, March is when I get the bug to really get started. Of course, with the way the world is now with COVID and that, it's kind of dampened it a little bit. And I usually focus more on beets and kohlrabi um, and pumpkins and that. So those I start a little bit later, closer to um, April. Well,
1: I'll tell you at the garden center last year with the COVID, we ran out of topsoil several times because everybody, you know, we've talked about this before. Everybody's building these planters and going crazy, something for the kids to do. Our seed selection was wiped out in no time. Um, It it was crazy. And they're really thinking, uh, all the uh, experts nationally are thinking about it's going to happen again this year. People caught that bug a little bit and they're going to do it again. And like the kids are basically still home from school. so
2: Yeah, that's what I heard from my master gardener friend, too.
0: Not only this stuff toxic. I mean, we're talking toxicity in the soils, but yeah. I want, to, I want you to know, do you know exactly, does anybody out there really know where their food is coming from?
2: I always try to look at labels when I do buy things that are out of season, which kind of raises my hair a little bit. Because I'm always like, I don't want to buy it if it's coming from, you know, Mexico or across the seas. South or America like or if
0: it's coming. See, <laughs> they, they, the federal government just allowed or took off or is allowing uh, meat packers not to have labeled where, you're, where that meat is coming from. Before we used to be able to Let's say, I, I enjoy, I, I love making hash, and I make it out of corned beef, the canned stuff. Well, that comes from South America. I don't really have a problem with that. However, they don't have to do that anymore. So you're just grabbing the meat, and you don't know where it's coming from. Same's going to be holding true with your vegetables. Where in the world is it coming from? If you go to certain, well, places that are selling mass quantities of what they call fresh vegetables, 90% of those aren't coming from the United States.
2: No. And that's, that's why I always say I, I try to start my seeds based on my grocery list. So one of the first ones I really, really wanted to grow was a banana. And obviously you can't grow bananas here. But did you know that pawpaws are basically a, like a yes. winter... Yeah, I was so excited by these pawpaws, and I have forever been wanting to start them. I finally found um, somebody down in Kentucky has groves of pawpaws, and they sell the seeds. And I finally ordered some seeds, but I have yet to actually take the plunge and start them. Cause they, those, that deep.
0: fruit has remedial purposes, too. Thomas Jackson is growing those. I mean, he's going all back. Now, the pawpaw itself, there's a guy down the street has got three of them because he thought they were pretty. The fruit is very, 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 very remedial as far as antioxidants, as far as nutrients, as far as anything else. But the garden centers of the old, um, from the 50s on, after World War II, all people wanted to do is make things look pretty and convenient and fast. Now, we're going back. The pendulum has swung all the way back to where, like you said, with the pawpaws, there's other trees that are out there that people generally sassafras.
1: I mean, there's—, there's I'm, a- I'm just going to say all the old timers have been listening to this show. is like all you guys have been doing is describing back to land. That's exactly yeah. what it is.
0: Exactly. I mean, there's a reason. I mean, we're put on this earth for something. We can sustain ourselves on this. What mother nature, God, or your higher power, whatever you want to call it, has placed here. And the knowledge, the knowledge on growing these things. This young lady is already, you know, investigating. It's almost like she was born with the curiosity as to how to do this. The knowledge of doing this is starting to be erased. And I think that's intentional. I don't want to sound conspiratorial at all. But I think that they want you to become more and more reliant on the food that we give you. Oh, I'm going to lasso
1: this conversation in again. Annie, do you have some parting ideas for uh, getting back to the edible landscape uh, that we started talking about and the inspiration for this show? Uh, Some other ideas of what can substitute for something that everybody would normally plant?
2: Yeah, so I always try to start. Anybody that asks uh, with rhubarb in place of hostas, I think every house has at least one hosta and everything I ever read on boards talk about like, well, I don't get direct sun or I only get an hour of sun a day. And rhubarb is probably the easiest thing because it is um, perennial and it's so easy to grow and you can just tear it off and go make oh, and- you know rhubarb pie or what have you with it. And I don't even think that the leaves go away, so it still looks like it's an ornamental in the winter.
0: In the Well, close to the wintertime, they're very, very hardy. And there's about four different varieties, three of which you can grow up here like a weed. But they have colorful stalks, and the richness of the leaves themselves does exactly what the hostas are there for. I mean, mm-hmm. to fill in the voids where, like you said, it doesn't need a whole bunch of sun. Now, do you cut them before they go to—I mean, they're going to go to flower, but before they go to seed—
2: I don't, I, I am such a lazy gardener. I literally just (laughs) stick things. I'm horrible. (laughs) I stick things in the ground and I say, well, let's see if it grows. That is literally how I get things off. I'm like, oh, I've always wanted a raspberry. I'm going to stick it over here. And then, whoops, that didn't work really well. Let's move it over there. And the only thing I have actually not moved, I have moved everything in my yard, you know, between the chives and the strawberries and the, and the uh, rhubarb and the raspberries. I have not moved my asparagus. I was going to say, that oh, God, seed. this is
0: almost telepathic. I was wondering if you ever grown asparagus.
2: I have. And that was one of the first things uh, I started. I did start it from seed because, you know, too poor at the time to buy crowns. And sure. I was t- um, decided I was going to start it from seed, even though everybody, including my father, said, you can't grow asparagus from seeds. And I did it. I was so proud of myself. I do wish I could move it because, of course, the place that I put it. It was not enough out of the way. It's a little bit more in the middle of our yard. here's something
0: a little bit. I've had an old timer, and I learned so many things from old timers, and I'll let Scott do the segue to closing down. But the old timers used to tell me that the most abusive place and less paid attention place on your property is the best place for your asparagus. I go, what? He goes, yes, if you've got gravel, if you've got salt, if you've got certain things, I mean, that you can put on there. And even when the spears come up, you can step on them. That makes them stronger and hardier. I'm going, really? And tested it out? It is working. You used to find it during the Depression era growing like a weed along the railroad tracks. People harvesting them there. Um, okay. that, that, that is still, if you know what to look for, you can still do that. So Scott's going, Mike, shut the heck
2: up. Okay, I'm <laughs> shutting up. Thanks. <laughs> hey, so do you have a couple other quick ones that you can spit out? So. So rhubarb for hosta, um, fruit or nut trees for any any place that you need uh, deciduous shade. Uh, strawberries for ground cover, those you would need a lot more sun for in order to produce fruit. I have one of my first uh, balcony gardens. I tried to grow anything fruiting, but I didn't have enough sunlight. So those obviously didn't produce. Blueberries, like I said, for boxwood, again, I don't have personal experience with Um What else? Oh, spinach and lettuce in window boxes. Those are another great one for shade because Mm. if you don't get a whole lot of sun, they won't bolt. So they'll actually last longer. Chives and lavender are another great one. Chives um, are one where you just pick and eat. So that's one that we do eat raw. My kids go out and pick that all the time. Um, Then you can also do a kitchen garden just off the back, either in pots or in the ground and put all the herbs that you would normally Keep in your spice cabinet, like basil, cilantro, oregano, marjoram, thyme, rosemary, chamomile. Um, Yeah, all those you can grow super easy. You want to be careful with mint because it will spread everywhere.
0: This is kind of like you're an earth mother. I mean, kicking in where the hippies left off in the late 60s, early 70s.
2: (laughs) This is wild.
0: I mean, serious. This is cool.
2: Well, and I would say if you do have a little space to put a vegetable garden or a little patch, I would definitely recommend beets, kohlrabi, um, bush beans. Bush beans are great because they don't grow super tall and they can support each other and you can plant them really close together. Um, And basil. Oh, you can't get enough of basil. Every time you walk past it, it smells like uh, pesto.
1: I just want to challenge everybody listening to take these ideas that Annie has given us for the past 45 minutes And take them, you know, if there's a city council meeting and, you know, they're talking about housing or, you know, changing some laws or rules and just kind of promote, it doesn't have to be a whole garden. Get involved. You know, you only need a couple tomato plants to have a harvest good enough for yourself. So, Mm -hmm. you know, swap a couple things out and just take this to the city council and just say, you know. Hey, it doesn't have to be a big garden. It could just be a couple of nice, you know, yeah, let's go bushes back. and then some edible bushes and then, you know Don't it, let
0: the big brother tell you what to do. Always question authority, Abby Hoffman. All right.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not I'm just you know, it's just a no, smart I'm, I'm it's agreeing just a with smart you. move. no matter what side you're on. It's just, you know, the cities are there to protect the communities. I mean, we've had some people in my neighborhood trying to plant gardens out front, and it's just you know, come on. There, There's a point. It depends on how big it is. Now, I I'm going to be the opposite person here. It depends on how big it is because they were getting uh, they're getting out of control. You so, therefore, know. I like the city rule.
0: But but like with Annie here, you know what I've been doing, and I'm so amazed that she came up with this too. I have oak leaf hydrangeas in my front yard. I tried growing other things around it that didn't take. For some reason, I have no idea why. But I grew tomatoes. On the, the tomato cages around the uh, the, the hydrangea, yeah. the oak leaf. Now, you got those beautiful white big flowers on there. Mm-hmm. And then you start to see the green and red tomatoes that are growing with it. Now, the cages were green and red also, but it really accented, really looked cool. And, well, the Polish lady that lives next door told me that these were the best tomatoes she's had in a long, long time. So, you know, and she, she does great. She She grows her own cabbage and I get pigs in a blanket.
1: Well, Annie, I thank you for coming on and uh, letting me take advantage of your Facebook post there and kind of talk about this and how to spread, uh, I'm, I'm going to call it tiny gardening around. Why not? If it's going to tiny houses. If it's going to
0: tiny houses, how it spreads tiny gardening um, and micro gardening. You can do this.
2: Yeah. I'll, thank you for having me on. I'm glad I get to spread the idea because it's one that I've I've been trying to share with my friends too. and. I'm really passionate about it. It doesn't have to be ugly or or boring, especially like you said with your front yard. If you can intersperse edibles and make it look pretty, right. yeah,
0: right. I like the grape oh. idea too. If you got an arbor and have them grow in there, those are perennial mm-hmm. and it smells delicious. And you can just pick them once they're grown. Never mind. I'm you had here. a last thought, Annie.
2: I was going to say Thanks, it Scott. brings back that uh, Mediterranean feeling, right? When you're eating al fresco.
0: Oh, now what is that called? Eating what? Al oh.
2: fresco, outside.
0: That's not a vegetable.
2: <laughs> All right. I was going to say one other thing. Um, one other great thing. If you don't have a plant swap nearby, you can also search plant cycle or free cycle. Kind of like the end of a bicycle. It's free. C-Y-C-L-E. C-Y-C-L-E. Do it again. Free. Free F-R-E-E cycle. C-Y-C-L-E. And if you search free cycle or plant cycle uh, in your Google search, along with wherever you're located, you might be able to find your local free cycle group. And you can find plants and seeds that way as well, along with um, any tools you might need for gardening.
0: Great. And Excellent. don't forget, you can get your bumper crop right now and put it down on top of the snow. Let the neighbors talk about you. Bumper yeah, crop from your master that.
1: nurseries. Go put it right on the soil. And that's Soil Kit, Annie. Soil Kit, S
0: yes. O I L K I T. Look it up online. And honestly, they'll tell you what you can do. Experiment.
1: I think you're going to be able to grow the blueberries. All right.
2: Thanks, oh, I hope so, so. Thank you.
1: Thanks, everybody, for joining in. If Bye-bye. you have uh, any ideas to add to this, go to our Facebook page and start a thread, or or just attach uh, your question and comments. So I always post the uh, the graphic for each episode in there. You can go below that and hit a comment and give us some uh, edible landscape options. You know, like she as was as long as it's legal. As long as she was saying, you know, swap this for a hosta, swap this for a boxwood. That'd be awesome thanks everybody have a great one we'll see you next show thanks for listening to your midwest garden if you like today's
0: conversation please share this podcast with friends and family and don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes plus if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss head on over to our sponsors facebook page which is black diamond garden center and message them your topic idea for all of us at your midwest garden podcast i'm michael work the garden guy hope you enjoyed today's conversation